Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? It's good to have you guys with us today. And uh, we are going to be in Luke chapter 10, verse 29 this morning. Luke 10, 29. Um, so when I grew up, I grew up in a rural area. And my parents you know, didn't have extra transportation to drive me around for a job. So here's what my mom did for me when I was you know, probably I was in the 8th, ninth, even 10th grade. So I get my own car. Was I had to take care of the house and the yard for her. We lived on several acres, and my mom was also a neat freak, a clean freak. She had tons of flowers, garden everywhere. And so what she did was, was she taught me how to take care of everything. So I had to mow several acres. I had to go in and clean every day, do all the dishes. Like that was what I had, that was my job, what I had to do. And again, my mom being a neat freak made it really hard because she didn't want you to like just like dust, but pick the lamp up and dust under the lamp. And I'm thinking like, where's the only place dust is not going to be in the house? Under the lamp. I mean, why can't we just duct tape it down and get a leaf blower and just you know, blow it away? I mean, there's nothing. But she would go and she would check and she would, and she, she saw a ring one day. And she was so upset that, like, I didn't get all the way around. She picked it up. And then she would go also, she would go check the lampshades for dust. Like, my mom was that type of person. And so that's what I ended up doing. But here's what I tried to figure out. How little could I get away with and her not notice? <laughs> What's the least amount I could do in cleaning that house where it would be okay for her, right? And I think so many times in our life following Jesus, that's how we like think about that. Like, what can we get away with? How little can we get away with with following Jesus and it still be okay? As a matter of fact, like Jesus dealt with this very situation one time uh, when he was on earth living and teaching and preaching. And Luke records this. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, uh, Luke records the situation where Jesus is talking to a Jewish religious expert of the law. This guy knew the 613 laws of the Torah. He was an expert in it. And at every chance they got, they were trying to trap Jesus. And so this guy comes to Jesus and gives him a scenario and tries to, like, get him to find out. And here's what well, the question was, well, who, who's my neighbor and how much do I need to love them? This is why he asked that. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Huge racial divide. Now, the Samaritans were, 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 were Jews also, but also half-Jews. Half they weren't full-blooded, so the Jews looked down on them. They weren't pure in their race. And so the Samaritans had their own Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They believed almost the same as, as the Jews did. A lot of similarities, but some very glaring differences. They both uh, believed you should worship God, but one believed in Mount Gerizim, and the other one, again, in, in the Mount of Olives and Zion. They had the different, different mountain views and all that. So they had this big religious divide, racial divide. And they were thinking, hey, look, God does not expect me to have to go over and beyond for them. And so this guy comes to Jesus, and the question at hand is, how little can I get away with when it comes to serving God? And look at Luke chapter 10, verse 29. It says, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story. Now, we don't know if this is actually an historical event that maybe Jesus had heard about. We don't know if this is just a parable. Um, we're not sure. Jesus does not outline that for us, but he does share this story. He says, a, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a Jewish priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. 
Verse 32, a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. I mean, this man took time to walk over and look at him, right? That's a lot of work. Um, but also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan, this Jewish guy here in the story just starts to get fuming. It's like, yeah, man, despised Samaritan. That's right, Jesus. You talk about those Samaritans. Came along, and when he saw the man there, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. And then Jesus says this, Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. And the man, the Jewish religious man of the law, replied this, the one who showed him mercy. He wouldn't even say the Samaritan, right? The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. What you see here in this passage is you see religious people going to do noble things in a religious setting. They were both going to the temple. And they had every right to not even touch the man. They actually had a reason for it. And the reason was this, this, uh, this priest, if he touched that man, could become unclean and could not carry out the temple duties. The temple assistant also had duties in the temple. So they both looked, and they had noble religious reasons for leaving the man there. But Jesus doesn't look at just our actions. He looks at our heart, at the motives of why we do what we do. And he knew really why they why they refused to help the man because they were going to do as little as possible and give excuses and then go do their religious duties before god and jesus calls them out on that and then he's trans like he, he carries this with the samaritan man he says look a, a despised samaritan not only goes and helps them but goes above and beyond what is expected of the law because the whole argument was this they were arguing deuteronomy 6 4 and that was the basis, and that is the basis of the whole Old Testament, the Jewish Torah, which is this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Because they were asking Jesus, what's the greatest command? He knew that. This is the Shema. And Jesus wanted to show them this is what loving God and loving people looks like. It's not doing the bare minimum, but it's going above and beyond. The Samaritan man was blessed. He had two silver coins. That was not normal. That's a lot of money. The Samaritan man had done this before, and I'll talk, talk to you about this later. He had done this before because the innkeeper trusted him. The innkeeper was like, yeah, sure, man. Whatever you got, I'm good. He didn't argue with him. The, the, the Samaritan man was conditioned to generosity, and he was blessed. And what we have to realize in our life, when you look at this passage here, that you have to realize something about your own life, you've been incredibly blessed too. You are incredibly blessed. Do you know that 60% of the world doesn't have electricity? We're around here with phones. Well, I've got, got an iPhone 10. I wish I had an iPhone 14. i got an iPhone 10 too. I'm there with you. That, I mean, that's our first world problems. We're worried about our choices of what we get to eat. And the rest of the world's like eating rice and beans because that's all they have to eat. Like, we've been incredibly blessed. But can I tell you, if you're like me, what happens is I've been very blessed, but I want to see how little I can get away with when it comes to the kingdom of God, especially with generosity. And what the Samaritan man knew something I wish all of us could get, and I wish I could live out on a greater level, and it's this here. 
God's gift to us is our ability. Understand that. God's gift to you is your ability. So like the generosity God's shown you in your life, the blessing he's given you, that's your ability to do something. The Jewish man had ability. The Jewish priest, the temple assistant, had a, a great job. He had ability. The Samaritan man had ability, right? That was God's gift, his gift of generosity to them. But here's the flip side. Our gift to God is our availability. The difference between the Samaritan man and the Jewish uh, priest and the temple assistant is they were not available. They were blessed, but not available, especially when it came to sacrifice, especially when it came to this idea of extravagance. They just didn't have time for it. Like this, and, but they were on the way to do something very religious. They had very good reasons why I could become unclean for that. And if you're like me, it's the same thing. It's like, God, oh, I, I, would love, I would love to just get to the missions thing. I would love to be able to bless in this area. But you know what? I got bills, man. That, flat, that 70 inch flat screen TV, this 5K or whatever y'all have, I don't know what that stuff is. I, I try to get it cheap as I can find. Like, I, I, I know that like, God wants this, but that 70 inch, man, we're still paying payments on it. Oh, I would love to do that, but man, you know, this car costs a lot of money. It drives me around. See, we have to understand this, that God has richly blessed all of us. I don't care if you say, well, well I'm, not, I'm not rich. You are rich. But here's what you and I, amen, somebody's excited about that. Here's what we have to do, though. Once you realize that, then you have to, to say, God, my gift back to you is my availability through generosity. See, generosity is something that, that's the mark of a disciple. I'm not ashamed about teaching about it. I'm not going to shy back from it. I'm not going to shy back because, listen, praying is a mark of a disciple. You should pray and seek the Lord every day. You should read the scriptures every day and study the scriptures. The Bible tells us to study to show yourself approved. You should share your faith. Jesus tells us to share our faith. But also it's very clear in scripture that God expects generosity. And if you're saying, well, this guy wants my money, we say it all the time, please just give to another church. We've got a list of churches you can give to. I don't want your money. This is not what I want from you. It's what I want for you. When, I, when, when we share with you how to share your faith, amen, and, and when you share your faith with someone and you share the gospel, man, it's life-giving. Nothing is better than that. When you see people that thrive who end up getting a chance to share their faith with a coworker or someone in their family and the light bulb comes on, there's no greater feeling. When you see somebody who begins to study the Bible who never understood it and they're excited about it, man, that's the greatest feeling in the world. When you actually enjoy prayer and worship and you get along with the Lord in his presence, that's powerful. And can I tell you, there's nothing like generosity. And many of us are missing out on what God has for us because we are so angry at the fact that the church wants my money. We don't want it. Give it somewhere else. It's what I want for you because I love you as your pastor and I care for you. And I wish you could experience what I have experienced through generosity in my life. Now see, just like the Samaritan man, just like the Jewish priest and the temple assistant, you have to understand this. God places needs in front of us as opportunities that will require extravagant generosity. God's going to place needs in front of you that will require extravagant generosity. Some of you have never consistently given to the kingdom before, and that's where you start. But some of you are saying, well, I don't need this pastor. I'm well beyond this. No, no, no. You need to be led by the Spirit. If you consider yourself mature, what's the Holy Spirit laying on your heart to be extravagant with the needs that God's placing in front of you? What, what is God showing you? What is God calling you to? For some of us, it's just saying, you know what, God, you'll get the first and the best. 
And can I tell you that? I've been doing that for 20 years. For 20 years, ever since I gave my life to Jesus. And there's two things. If you're single in here, there's two things that you need to ask somebody before you ever get into a relationship with them. You need to ask them, number one, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? Not do you go to church and not do you believe in God. Demons believe in God, but they tremble. That, that joker could believe in God, but he's not following Jesus. What do you believe about Jesus? And the second thing I ask somebody, do you tithe? Because they'll rob God, they will cheat on you. Come on, y'all, I'm telling you. But if you find somebody who loves the Lord Jesus and they're willing to sacrifice and say, God, you get my first and my best, that's somebody you can trust in your life. And so realize that God will place needs in front of you that will require extravagant generosity. That's what the Samaritan man showed us. He went above and beyond what was expected or required. And that's what the guy was asking Jesus, how little can I get away with? I think when it comes to that in our life, when we serve God, how little Bible reading, you know, devotionettes for Christianettes, do a little devotion, do, do, do a little bit of prayer time. How little can I do? When it comes to spending time with the Lord or reading the Scriptures, and when it comes to generosity, we do that. And what I want to show you is this. There's four types of givers, and you're going to identify with one of these four, and hopefully you want to move to the fourth one we'll get to in your life. The first one is the aggravated giver. That's the aggravated giver. The first type of giver is this. They have no desire, and they have a lack of faithfulness in giving. That's the aggravated giver. So if you're aggravated today, it just means that, that it means you're not generous. I've never met anybody who's generous to the kingdom who gets mad about this stuff. It's always those who aren't generous. Can I just be real with you? Don't look at me like that, y'all. So it's the aggravated giver. That's what happened with the Samaritan man and the, the Jewish man who was hurt. The other two were kind of, it's kind of an aggravation and inconvenience. Oh, no, no, I've got things I need to do. Oh, I know he has needs, but I've got needs too, and I'm, I'm on the way to do something religious. And some of us get aggravated when we hear these things because we've never had any desire to bless the kingdom of God. Never any desire for the gospel to advance and lives to be changed. And we've never had any faithfulness in it. If you've never had that, then yes, these type of messages will aggravate you. As I said last week, probably because you believe that money is your money and it's not yours if you're a follower of Jesus. He owns it all. And so maybe you're an aggravated giver. I'm, I've met people like that. I'll tell you, when I did get aggravated and God got me, the key is to God, does God speak to you? I'll never forget when I started tithing. <laughs> and then we used to do Sunday night church, Wednesday night church, Sunday morning church. That's just church all the time, right? And I first got saved. And I'll never forget, I was, I skipped Sunday night church and my friends went. And they said, well, the pastor's teaching on tithing. He told us we were to teach off the gross, I mean, I tithe off the gross, uh, gross income of our tithes. I said, gross? He said, I said, what does that mean? He's like, all your money. Not pre-tithe. I was like, I ain't doing that. And then I forget the next day I listened to Tony Evans that Monday during lunch, and Tony told him the same thing. And then God said, I think I'm trying to tell you something. I used to be aggravated as well. The second type of giver, though, is this. It's the aspirational giver. The aspirational giver. They have a giving of aspiration. And here's their, them. They have a great desire to give, but no faithfulness in giving. They've never, never given God their first. And so they aspire. It's like they have really good intentions, but it just never comes through. Like you hear this stuff, you're like, we're going to be generous next month. Oh, you just wait. when that I play the lottery all the time. Not me, but like, you know, when that money comes in, I'm going to be the most generous person. You wait. When then? When the ship comes in, then, you, you, Pastor, I got your back. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, by June, I'm in. And then the car breaks down in June, oh, no, 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 I got more. You're right, like, so they aspire and they want to do that. 
realize the Jewish priests and temple assistants had good intentions for God, but never followed through. They were on the way to worship God and left a man lying there to die. Could it be that sometimes we come to the house of God while people are dying and going to hell all around the world, and it doesn't bother us that the gospel doesn't go forth, that churches aren't planted, that people aren't being saved? I don't know. I know that's what moves my heart. That's why I do what I do. So you could be an aspirational giver, that maybe you just need to put consistency to the desire. The third type is this. It's the compulsive giver. Now, they have no desire to give, but, man, great faithfulness. Meaning this, they've never consistently done it, but when a need arises, they get emotionally moved to something. They're like, man, I gave $10 that mission trip. I, I bought that spaghetti lunch. Whew, yep, actually, and I gave them a dollar extra. Can I please get out of my taxes so my, my CPA can see it and I get a little bit back, right? You know, like, like you know, so, so it's what we call tippers. It's people who just kind of tip. Whatever, the, they get moved to it. It's all about emotions. There's no uh, connection. There's no sacrifice for the gospel for the sake of Jesus. It's all about emotion. That's the compulsive giver. And then finally you have this, and this is what we've got to move to as followers of Jesus, the extravagant giver. The extravagant giver. And that's somebody who has a great desire and great faithfulness. Well, they really, really want the message of Jesus to go forth. They really, they, they know God owns everything. They're not tithers. They're not givers. They're returners, as I said last week. I don't give. I just return back to God what's already his, right? And they have great faithfulness in consistently doing that. And so all of us have that step. So for you, it may be saying, I need faithfulness. I've never done it. I've never given God my first and my best, and I wonder why I'm always struggling all the time. I've told you this, I'll tell you again. If you take care of God's kingdom, he'll take care of your castle. Over and over again in Scripture, it's conditional with that. It is even the New Testament. Like the, the Scripture that my God shall supply all my needs according to your riches and glory, that is not an unconditional promise. Do, do you read, if you read before that, he says, because you, church at Philippi, gave to the mission that I was on in Macedonia, now this is what God will do for you. And so you got to, some of you have to come to the point that you say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to sign up for the tithes challenge. God's getting my first, my best, because he gave me his first and his best through Jesus. But then some of the others in here need to be led by the Spirit. And this is what I'm doing, guys. I'm praying and saying, God, not should I, but where should I? Where, where will the gospel go forth? Where will people be saved? And God, lead me to give to that above and beyond to see your kingdom go forth. Because see, here's what extravagant generosity is. Extravagant generosity is consistently giving more than what is just required. And that's in every area of your life. To be extravagant to the Lord, to reciprocate this generosity he's given you, it's going above and beyond when you serve. It's going above and beyond whenever you spend time with Jesus. It's going to be above and beyond whenever you pray. It's going above and beyond. It's giving way more than what is required. And what's interesting is like, because you know, so Luke was the only non-Jewish person here who was like writing, wrote uh, Luke in the, and wrote Acts. And he shares this story. It's the only time you see this story in here that highlights a, a non-Jewish person being the hero, which I'm sure when Luke was researching, he carefully, re he heard this story. He said, oh, no, no, no. Matthew, 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 oh, no, no, no. Tell me again about that. Because most believe that he interviewed Mark and Matthew, some of these guys that had been with Jesus and Peter. And he said, no, 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 pause, pause, pause. What happened again? Jesus talked about a Samaritan. Oh, yeah, he, he get, the Samaritan was the hero of that story. 
And Luke's like, I have got to record this. This is a wow. And then after this in Luke's gospel, he shares a story that Matthew also shares, that shared in, um, you know, also in Mark's gospel. And it's very interesting. He shares about a woman with an alabaster box, a box of perfume, a jar of perfume. And so Luke, like, kind of ends the whole, uh, the whole context of this with this teaching. And I want to show you from Matthew's gospel today uh, what he says in Matthew chapter 26 about his extravagant generosity, which is tacked on to this teaching about the Samaritan person. Matthew 26, 7 says this. It says, while he was eating, that's Jesus, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it all over his head. That seems awesome and great, right? That, that perfume, and many of you know this, was a year's worth of wages. I don't know what your yearly wage is, but could you imagine you having that and you taking it and dumping it out on somebody's head? That's crazy. And then look, 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 look. The disciples, and one of the other writers says Judas in particular, were indignant when they saw this. What a waste. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. Be, here's what I've learned about people. If you're extravagant to the Lord and you're serving God and your whole life's in for God, be careful with people who criticize how much you give to Jesus and what you do for Jesus. Because it probably means that their heart's not really for Always be very weary in the church. Somebody says, well, they could have used that money for this and that. That's what they did to Jesus. Well, that money could have, but, you know, I, I know they have the donuts back there, but that money could have went to, all right, sir or ma'am, let's see how much you're actually giving to the poor and needy. Because the disciples here weren't doing anything. And they criticized her. And he said, it could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. And see, it says Judas said that. I bet Judas was waiting for Jesus to be like, yeah, you're right, Judas. That's right. Let's, let's criticize this woman. Jesus doesn't do that. He says this. Why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. And they still haven't, hadn't grasped yet that Jesus would die. They're like, what is this guy talking about? And then look what Jesus says here. I tell you the truth. Wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. What Jesus was saying was this. Because they didn't understand everything about following him yet and what it would mean for him to die and rise from the dead and become followers of him. And they wouldn't understand what it meant to lose their life for him. And what he wants to outline to them is this. When you follow me, it will require extravagance, meaning you want to go above and beyond, number one, if you really follow Jesus. And number two, you'll sacrifice for him. Wherever the gospel is preached, there's got to be sacrifice. You cannot keep your own and give your life to Jesus. You cannot own your life and also give your life to Jesus. And when you give your life to Jesus, it is all or nothing. You're not halfway in. You say, Lord, I want it to go above and beyond. You have greatly blessed me, and I want to bless your kingdom for what you've done for me. That's why he says that. And isn't it interesting that both these passages, especially in Luke's gospel, they're tied together, and Jesus is showing what does it mean to love the Lord God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? What does it mean to love your neighbors yourself? It means that you will live a life of extravagant generosity, that you will go above and beyond the call. Why? Here's why. God gave you his best in Jesus. Amen? Think about that. 
He gave you his son. If it's up for all of y'all dying or my son dying, y'all, y'all gone. I'll preach all of your funerals. Don't look at my, 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 if I had to give up my son for y'all, no ma'am, no sir. I love him way too much. And God said, I'll give you my son. I'll give you my best. That's where generosity comes from. It's not about money. It's about my whole life being given to Jesus. And here's the question you've got to ask yourself. I want to be just bold enough to ask this question. How much does Jesus mean to you? How much does Jesus mean to you? How much does the gospel mean to you? Because for me, it's my life. I've told you before, I have nowhere else to go. We looked at Peter, and he's like, well, you want to go away too? Peter's like, well, I, where else am I I'm going? You're everything. If, if, if you argue about money when it comes to Jesus, I've got to ask a bigger question. Do you even know Jesus? Because he gave, like, God gave his son to me, and God rescued me. Picked me up out of the miry clay. He picked me up out of the mud. He's done so much for me. This is, this is child's play. This is 10%. That's why I give more than that. This is, what are you talking about? How much does Jesus mean to you? When it comes to serving, some of you don't even serve at church. Don't have time for it. Too busy. Oh, I'm, I'm getting all up in your cornflakes this morning, y'all. I didn't come here to be liked. I didn't come here to impress you. I came here to impact you. And I want you to be fully devoted followers of Jesus where how much does he mean to you? My son and I were talking recently, and I've been teaching him how to save, invest, and give. That's the three things successful people always do from very early age. They save, they have an emergency fund, they give to God, the first and the best, and they invest. They do without the flat screens and the iPhone 20s and whatever else, you know, the big trucks and cars that you have, all the bells and whistles, and they say, I'm, I'm going to do these three things to be successful. Now teach them that. The other day he was asking me, he said, well, how much do you, do you give, Dad? Because he went to, I said, well, I talk about 10%. He wouldn't understand 10%. He's, he's eight years old. Seven, we had this conversation. I, I gave him the number that I, that I give. He said, Dad, we could get that PlayStation 5 for you if you just didn't give to God. <laughs> you don't have to play that broken PlayStation. He said, do you know how much we could do with that extra money each month? He said, why would you do that? I'm reminded of the story that, you know, Robert Morris has shared, and that's the conversation I now just have with my son about in the Old Testament when they would take the lamb, the little pretty lamb that was without spot or blemish, and the dad would go out and sacrifice it for Passover to celebrate God's rescuing of Israel. That's what Jesus is for us. And I'm sure at one point the son would have asked the father, why are we killing our little lamb? Billy the little lamb, whatever it's called, Mary the little lamb, whatever name they gave it. Why would we do that, dad? And I'm sure that dad would say, oh, son, God rescued the Israelites from Egypt. You have no idea. We were slaves. We had nothing. And look how blessed we are. This is what we do to celebrate that. When my son asked me, he said, why would you give that much money? I said, son, can I tell you a little, little story? I said, your daddy was not always a good man. I said, your daddy used to do drugs. He used to steal. He used to lie. He got put in jail. But your daddy wasn't always a good man. 
the very fact today that you have a daddy that's the person he is today is because of Jesus. I said, son, he changed my life. That's why I do this. Because I want everybody that can to hear the gospel because it transforms. And I wouldn't be the daddy that I am today. That's why I do this. I've got a question for you, man. How much does Jesus mean to you? If you're skeptical again, don't, don't give to this church, please. I want you to experience what it means to also see God's provision in your life. God has done more, more off of my, the little that I live off of when I give than I could have done with all of it because he's faithful. Where are you at today? What's God calling you to do? What's God speaking to you as a couple? Maybe you've never trusted God in that area before. And can I tell you, once you do it, you'll never look back. I'll even go as, as bold to say this to you. We call this God's guarantee and we do this stuff here. That if you do end up giving to Thrive and after 90 days you've done this and you've given and you say, man, I regret giving any dollar to God. And you've given through, our, the, again, we can track it for you. We'll go back and give you all your money back. I'm telling you, it's transforming once you give God your first and your best, not because you're giving money to him, it's because you understand what he did for you, and this is just your gift back to him, saying, God, I want you and your kingdom to be blessed because of what you've done for me, amen? So, I want to pray for you this morning. Father, help us to know what the Holy Spirit is saying to us about our next steps of generosity. I pray, God, that we could continue even as a church to be generous because you blessed us so much, Lord. Help us to continue to plant churches, to continue to see the gospel go forth, Lord, in different parts of the United States of America and around the world. Help us, Lord God, to continue to support missions and missionaries who are making great impact. Father, I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would speak to our hearts, God that you would soften our hearts, Lord. And God, I pray more than anything that there would be people today that have a realization of the greatness of your love and your generosity to them because of Jesus. That you gave us your very best. You sacrificed. You went above and beyond for us. So give us courage, Lord, to listen to you and to do what you're telling us to do, Father. And as we're praying today, church, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've been to church and you go to church, but you don't really resonate when I talk about giving life to Christ and, I'm, and my, he owns my life. Maybe that's just never been you. Maybe you've believed in your head, but you've never surrendered your life to Christ. You've never had a catharsis moment where you know that you have, you have been transformed by the gospel, where the Holy Spirit has come to live inside your heart. And if that's you this morning, whether you're in here physically or watching online, today is your day of salvation. Today is your day to experience this transformation, and I want you to pray this prayer. Make this confession of faith after me. You say, God, I give my life to Christ today. I repent of my old life. I leave that life behind, and I receive Jesus. For I believe he is Lord. Today, I make him my Lord. 
For I believe he died on the cross. And I believe he rose again on the third day. I believe he's the only way to heaven. God, thank you for giving me such a great gift. Now help my life be a gift back to you. It's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.